Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 26, recorded Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cinturapino. February 2020 is almost over, less than a week until we hit March. And with March, I'm going to adjust the show schedule a little bit by moving up the next episode to March 1st, as we're going to be taking Scuba Shack Radio on the road to the Boston Sea Rover's 66th Annual Clinic up in Danvers, Massachusetts, and that'll happen on March 8th and 9th. So if you're in the area, please stop by and uh, check us out. We'll have a booth at the show. Also, yesterday, the Scuba Shack crew headed to Belize for a week of diving on Hamburgers Key. Joel is leading the trip and will be excited to hear all about their experience and hopefully get an update on an upcoming feature in your next dive. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about boat diving, the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972, and an interesting episode from Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. So let's get on with the show. I like boat diving. Dive boats take us to some outstanding dive sites. For me, they also add a level of convenience over shore diving. In past episodes, I talked about some of the equipment you'll need to go boat diving, like a mesh boat bag for your gear and a dry bag for the things you want to keep safe and dry. I also did a segment on one of the downsides for some people, that being motion sickness. Today, I want to continue the discussion on boat diving by sharing my thoughts on dive boat etiquette. Dive boats vary in size and features, and if you heard me talk about on a couple of the Your Next Dive features, I like the 46-foot Newtons. But even the most spacious boats are still limited with their space, and being in close quarters means that we all have to get along and respect everybody on board. First, we need to remember that every operator is a little different. So I would consider my number one rule is that we listen to the directions of the crew and follow their rules. Even though we're a customer, we are also a guest. And by following the directions of the crew, we'll make everything go a whole lot smoother. So for example, don't get on the boat until you're asked to get on. The crew's working hard and they have to get things ready and They just don't want you to be in the way as they're getting their stuff prepared for you to come on board. But once you get on board, you might be assigned a specific place on the boat. Please go there. Like on an airplane, you can ask to be moved. And what I found very much, uh, the dive boat crews are accommodating when you ask. Otherwise, it's just confusion. 
The briefing is important. And unlike being on an airplane, listen. Listen for the specifics. It may seem obvious, but you need to try and keep all your gear close at hand. Don't spread it out. Not only can it get lost or damaged, it may cause someone to trip and get hurt. You may also have to wait to set up your gear because of the close quarters, so just be patient. You may also have to wait because they'll ask you to stay seated while they either leave the dock or proceed out of the channel, and those are for your own safety considerations. Now, you'll also want to follow their procedures for getting in the water, and while you will probably be doing a giant stride off of most boats, getting there to the back of the swim platform may be a little bit different. For example, in Little Cayman at the beach resort, they don't want you to have any of your gear on. You'll just bring it all with you to the back of the boat, your fins and everything like that, and then they'll bring your BC to you and put it uh, on the platform there, and you'll just slip into it while you're seated. Now, that may not be our preferred method of doing it, but when we're on their boat, there are rules. Also, some of them may ask you to put your fins on while you're seated at your, your position on the boat and then shuffle to the back of the boat. Again, we don't like doing that, but if we're asked to do it, we will. Again, uh, you may be asked to stay seated in your position until a crew member escorts you to the back. They've done this many times, and it's there for uh, their safety considerations and risk mitigation. Now, getting out of the water may be a little bit different as well. So some boats will put a tagline out the back, and they'll ask you to get on that tagline and take your fins off while you're on the line and then pull yourself up, hand up your fins, and you'll be all set. Personally, I like to take my fins off while I'm at the ladder, but if they've asked me to take them off on the line, I will do that. Again, most dive boats will change your tanks over for you. If you want to do your own, ask. They probably will let you, but in most cases, they want to change the tanks over again for a risk mitigation. Like I said, we like to take and um, put our own gear together, but if, um, if the dive boat wants to do it for us, we'll just ask them if we, can, if we can change our own tanks over, and they're pretty accommodating. Now, at the end of the dive, as you're going back, you're going to be asked to pack up your stuff. So as you pack up your stuff, make sure you make it all nice and neat and put it under the bench in front of you or wherever they ask you to put it. And then uh, as you're getting off the boat, wait until they let you uh, off the boat as well. So dive boat etiquette, it seems pretty simple, but you'd be amazed at, at, at how hectic it can get out there on the water. And if you just follow the simple rules, you'll be okay. And remember, the number one rule is to follow the dive boat's procedures. In a recent edition of Dive Training Magazine, there was an article by Alex Brilsky titled At the Intersection of People and Wildlife, Drawing the Line Between Interaction and Harassment. And in this article, Dr. Brilsky referenced the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972. And as I like to do, I poked around a bit to get a copy of this act and see what it was really all about. Now, it was signed into law on October 21st, 
1972. I was a senior in high school at that time, and the Vietnam War was on the forefront of a lot of people's mind. But Congress had other things as well, like protecting marine mammals. Now, this legislation was introduced by Congressman Edward Garments, a Democrat who represented the 3rd District of Maryland from 1947 to 1973. And he introduced it on December 4, 1971. I thought it would really be interesting to read uh, the findings of the Declaration of the Policy because I think it's pretty powerful. And here it is from Section 2. It says that Congress finds that certain species and population stocks of marine mammals are or may be in danger of extinction or depletion as a result of man's activities. Such species and population stocks should not be permitted to diminish beyond the point at which they cease to be a significant functioning element in the ecosystem of which they are a part, and consistent with this major objective, they should not be permitted to diminish below their optimum sustainable populations. There is inadequate knowledge of the ecology and population dynamics of such marine mammals and of the factors which bear upon their ability to reproduce themselves successfully. So I thought that would be interesting to read a couple of items from the findings on the Marine Mammal Protection Act. So this is some pretty heady stuff for 1972. And the act didn't only put a moratorium on the taking and importation of marine mammals and marine mammals product. It also recognized that commercial fishing had a lot of problems uh, related to marine mammals. And I'm going to read a couple of items for you from that, from the report or from the bill. And it says that in any event, it shall be the immediate goal that the incidental kill or incidental serious injury of marine mammals permitted in the course of commercial fishing operations be reduced to insignificant levels approaching a zero mortality and serious injury rate. So they're recognizing that commercial fishing is also causing problems, something we're still dealing with today, all this time later. Also, they talked in the bill about commercial fishing gear development, and here's what it states about that. It is hereby authorized and directed to immediately undertake a program of research and development for the purpose of devising improved fishing methods and gear so as to reduce to the maximum extent practicable the incidental taking of marine mammals in connection with commercial fishing. So even back in 1972, look at this. They're still thinking about commercial fishing causing damage to uh, marine life. Now, the bill also uh, sets up the Marine Mammal Commission. It's in active today. It's active today. You can go out and see their website. There's three people who are on that board. And then it also set up the Committee of Scientific Advisors on Marine Mammals. And there's nine folks who sit on that board. They do an annual report. Uh, they put out description of their activities and accomplishments. And they also have their findings and recommendations. So all these years later, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, it's still real um, and it's still important, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of history on it and see that even during the height of the Vietnam War, or as it was getting ready to wind down, Congress was still interested in things that were important to the environment. Let's hope that they can keep up the, uh, the work here as we move forward into the future. 
time for another installment of Sea Hunt. It's still alive. And this time, I'm going to take you to Season 4, the final season of Sea Hunt, to Episode 12, which aired on March 25th, 1961, and it was titled The Aquanets. And in this episode, Mike is training three women, astronets as he calls them, who are training for a mission to Venus. Wow, you talk about science fiction. Alan Shepard's first flight is still uh, weeks away, and Yari Gagorin, I think, don't think has gone into space yet. Well, the show opens up with the three astronauts in their spacesuits with scuba tanks on, walking on the bottom, simulating being on Venus, I guess. Mike introduces us to all of them. There's Barbara, Dana, and Joanna Sue. Mike lets us know what he's doing and that he is a Commodore in the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Well, as things happen on Sea Hunt, one of the women, Dana, has a tear in her spacesuit. Mike rushes in to fix and takes control of the the situation and brings her to the surface. But she's panicked, and she doesn't know if she wants to do the next mission. Well, Mike convinces Dana to go on this next mission, where they're going to go underwater on scuba to set up a base camp or simulate setting up their base camp on Venus. And it's a three-hour mission. And there's a whole bunch of extra tanks on the bottom so that they can change out tanks while they're down there. They all have these throat mics on with transmitters around their necks. All is going well, and they're two hours into the mission and four tank changes later. But all of a sudden, they have a problem with one of the masts that they're setting up. It topples over and crashes into the tanks right after Mike saves one of the women. They all go to the surface. Well, Dana is really now distraught. And Barbara is very upset with Dana, calls her a mess underwater and that she's a problem, accuses her of flirting with Mike. Now they get into a fight on the deck of the Coast Guard cutter. And it's quite a fight. They're pulling each other's hair and punching each other. Um, pretty, Pretty interesting stuff for 1961. Mike breaks up the fight by throwing both of them in the water. In the next scene, we see Mike on the fantail of the Coast Guard cutter working on his regulator. And Dr. Barnes, who's heading up the mission, comes up to Mike and they're getting ready to to do the second part of their mission. But Dana is missing, and so is all of her gear. It looks like she went off by herself. So Dr. Barnes, Joanna Sue, Barbara, and Mike all go in to find Dana. Mike brings a spear gun with him this time because there's sharks in the area and he has a spear gun with a contact head. Well, they split up. Mike and Barbara go one way. Joanna Sue and Dr. Barnes go another. We see a big eagle ray as they're searching for, uh, for Dana, and then they see sharks all around. Now, they get an underwater radio message from Dana, and it says she's hiding from the sharks. So Mike gives Barbara the spear gun and goes after Dana. Oh, no. Barbara sees the shark and panics and swims away with the gun. Mike is left to fight off the man-eating shark with his knife. But now, Dana catches up to Barbara, grabs the gun from her, and the two women come back to Mike, and he shoots the shark. And they all swim away. Well, back on deck, Barbara is now humbled at having panicked. She makes up with Dana And Dr. Barnes tells Barbara that she was going to wash her out because of the arrogance, but now that she's all humbled, she's back in the program. But all is well. Dana and Barb head off. 
But now Joanna Sue is still around and gives Mike a nice kiss on the cheek. Who will Mike be dating? Well, at the end of the show, Lloyd gives us a little pep talk about diving and as he's wont to do. So the Aquanauts was filmed in Nassau. Courtney Brown was still supervising diving operations, and there were really no other underwater credits given in this, this episode. But I thought this would be tie in nicely to the uh, segment I did on Scott Carpenter from the Mercury uh, Astronaut Program. Uh, this was the Aquanets from Sea Hunt 1961. That wraps up episode 26 of Scuba Shack Radio. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a great week ahead and we'll be coming to you a week earlier next time as we get ready for Boston Sea Rover's 66th Annual Clinic. Please visit scubashackradio.com or our Facebook page at Scuba Shack Radio for more information on the show. Also, we'd like you to consider giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app. It'll greatly help and we appreciate it. Bye for now. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.